Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Oh, hello, everyone. I'm Molly Wood. And I'm Tom Merritt. Welcome to It's a Thing, the weekly podcast supported by all of you, where we carefully analyze the hottest trends. We use our little eagle eyes to spot the newest happenings and the things that are a thing with our obviously not yet patented scientific method of either seeing what my kid is up to (laughs) or going on a business trip. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, my my uh, I use calipers and and flagons and all manner of scientific instruments. And then I look at Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. That's where both of mine came from today, as a matter of fact. Uh, Mine came from a catalog and personal obsession. Mm -hmm. Okay. One of of them, the first one. And then the second one came from uh, stuff my kid is doing. Yeah. That's a built-in advantage right there. It it really is. You've got the the local trend factory at your disposal. That's great. It is very useful. Very useful. You know, I, I thought I might come up with something because Eileen was watching a romantic comedy on Netflix uh, starring Jane the Virgin. What's her name? The actress. America anyway. Ferreira. Is that her? Jane, no. Mm. The star of Jane Wrong the Virgin? Show. I don't know what show that is. I've never I watched know. it. Anyway, uh, it was, you know, young people doing young people things. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I will see trends now. Nothing. Nothing new. I will spot a thing. That's because young people are only recycling our things. <laughs> also... Possibly. Also, Netflix made the movie, you know, the people who made the movie from Netflix weren't necessarily young. Mm-hmm. Although I think she directed it, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, I didn't say anything new. Maybe they were just trying to appeal to older audience as well, but inclu- you have, including us. You have things in here, though. I do. I do. And my first thing uh, is thanks to a bunch of Canadians. Mm. I'm headed up to Toronto for the Marshall McLuhan Variety Hour podcast roundtables. Uh, which I've been wanting to go to for a long time. Looking forward to it. A lot of great uh, Canadian podcasters will be showing up there. And in their sort of direct message thread on Twitter, where everybody's kind of saying like, oh, do you have your hotel room? Where are you staying? Et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Suddenly everyone was talking about butter tarts. Okay. Do you know what butter tarts are? Nope. I've never heard of a butter tart. I But I clicked your link and I want some. Uh, They are uh, beigey little uh, pastries. (laughs) Don't Don't start with beigey. Come on. I'm, I'm gonna. They Beige-y. are beigey little pa- pastries with a soupy interior. <laughs> and apparently they're delicious. I see. So you were going with butter. Uber disgusting sounding on mm-hmm. purpose. Yeah. No, the, the more proper description would be a handheld pie with a flaky crust and a sweet gooey filling. Is that, be- is that better? Mm-mm. However, you're right, though, that apparently they are considered the ugliest of desserts, according mm-hmm. to this link you put they're at dot com. Uh, yeah, they they look kind of ugly, and they look you, like if I saw one at a party on a little appetizer table, I'd be like, "Ew, it's one of those gross mushroom things from Trader Joe's." Right? They do not look like they're even sweet, but apparently they are all the rage. In fact, this Chatelaine article says, "Step down, Nanaimo bars, butter tarts are the ultimate Canadian dessert." Oh, those are fighting words. Uh huh. 
Didn't we somewhat recently decide that hand pies actually were a thing? Like, are yes, these we did. like a? I believe we did. Yeah. Uh, are these in that category? I guess they're hand. I don't know if we did it on the show proper or in the pre-show, but we definitely have been talking about hand pies. This looks delicious. Are you gonna? I mean, you know now what has to happen, which is that when you go there, you have to get one and like record yourself eating oh, it. Yeah. No, yeah. I have been promised butter tarts. Uh, I have. <laughs> I have been. I have. I told Dave the psychologist that I will immediately because they, they said butter tarts were essentially Canadian currency now, and I said, well, when I get to the airport, <laughs> I'm going right up to Thomas Cook and demanding butter tarts in French. <laughs> <laughs> je demande. Je demande. Je demande. Butter tart. Je demande. Je demande. Uh, yeah, it looks uh, delicious. Dave said, "Please live stream that." <laughs> je demande butter tart. Um, but yeah, I, I I expect to have butter tarts uh, Dude, when I arrive. There are butter tart trails because apparently it started in 1931. You can go on the butter tarts and buggies tour. What? In Wellington, North County, in Ontario. I did it not highlights see that part. the area's Mennonite heritage. <laughs> and then there is a, a competing tour called the Butter Tart Tour, which has about 50 participating butter tart bakeries. If you stop at all 50, can you do this? Can this be like a special episode? I want, I mean, I want you to I go to Butter Tart to Tour. I try to extend my trip or convince <laughs> the entire podcasting uh, community of Hamilton, Ontario to go on a Butter Tart Tour. I don't know that it would take that much convincing, honestly. I, I was going to say, this doesn't seem like a hard sell it at doesn't. all. Uh-huh. No. There's the Kawartha t- Butter Tart. Fa- I'm way down the Butter Tart rabbit hole right now. Oh, yeah. No, Butter Tarts, my friends. Oh, my God. This is amazing. I want a Butter Tart. I want to come to Ontario. Oh, mm. come on. It's in July. Oh, oh, really? Oh, yeah. okay. Well, then let's discuss. There's time to plan. Uh, let's see. My thing. So my like my highbrow thing, because I brought a highbrow mm-hmm. thing last year, last week with the wine glasses. Mm-hmm. But I oh, am right. excited yes. about this. I've just put my glasses towards the end of my nose. Oh, good. Please good, continue. Good. Yes, because it's time for design culture. Mm. Um, I am a big fan of this French artist, Yves Klein. He was very famous in the 60s or he came up in the 60s, and he is known for a couple of things. One, well, he actually is, interestingly, the first artist to essentially Photoshop something. He created this image called The Falling Man, and it was, as far as I know, one of the first known images that basically did, like, took out, like, he'd had this man jump onto a giant mattress, and then he used, you know, sort of of state-of-the-art at that time, paper photography manipulation to take out the mattress. So it looks like the man's just falling. Um, And he, I fell in love with, with Eve Klein at the San Francisco MoMA. God, this is like unbearable. When did Eve Klein first speak to you, Molly? (laughs) He first spoke to me. So I'm walking along in the San Francisco MoMA right after it was remodeled. we, We have to talk in our NPR voices now. Oh yeah, you're right. And as I'm touring the museum, Mm. I pass by this beautiful rectangle of the most spectacular and stunning blue you've ever seen in your life. And it's apparently, so it was called Blue Monochrome. He painted it in 1961. And it's literally just like a big blue rectangle. But it's in this color, Blue Monochrome, that's actually, he patented it. It's called International Eve Klein Blue. Oh, so yeah. And you can do that with colors. You can say like, this is... 
you know, I've, I've created this color and a patent doesn't last forever. So it doesn't mean that you own the color forever. But if you're like, Hey, this color hasn't been used before I figured out how to create it. International Klein blue. Okay. So all of that. And so I, like I bought, you know, a crappy reproduction that's printed on wood. It's beautiful. I love it. Like I, I have two Eve Klein prints in my house. I love it. Turns out now all of a sudden Eve Klein is becoming a thing. Ah, and what's, what's driving that? Did he get a target or something? To prove it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, okay, one thing that's driving it is that to celebrate the 90th anniversary of his birth in March of this year, I can't believe I missed this, uh, they released the paint. French paint manufacturer Resource partnered with like his, his you know, whatever, family, Leave Klein Archives, and they are they have released a pigment, like a paint that's called uh-huh. International Klein Blue. So you Which, could actually like paint your stuff. I'm sure you could have already got because the patent would have expired by now. But I bet they couldn't call it Eve Klein Blue, right? Probably. The, right. The, the the two appeals here is this comes approved by the estate, and it can legally be called Eve Klein Blue without being a trademark. You're so funny with your patent thing. Anyway, I have no idea if the patent had expired or not, but I do know that. Well, it I'm is assuming beautiful. if it, if it's 90 years since you know, it's this like ultra. Well, I don't know. Yeah, they're only 14 years for the patents. I think. Okay. In the U.S. anyway. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> what's awesome about it's so anyway, so that's all exciting. And then, and it's possible that this was inspired by that, but then I got like a, I get the CB2 catalog, Crate and mm-hmm. Barrel 2, which is like their little modern spinoff. Yeah, right. We've got some stuff from CB2. And they have a whole full page ad for French blue planters inspired by a shade first mixed by artist Eve Klein. Ah, clever. And they're yeah. in this beautiful, I know. And then I was reading about this like big design book that's coming out and it, it has, it has like 400 of the most amazing rooms ever designed. And evidently one of them is an Eve Klein room. And I'm just like, dude, I, other than the fact that art people obviously <laughs> know all about Eve Klein, I had like never heard anyone talk about him and to have it show up in CB2, I was like, oh, that's a thing. Also, I want yeah. the paint. One of the things that we have to deal with on this show uh, Molly and I both is uh, uh, adapting for the Flynn effect, which I recently just started to remember is what it's called when you you know learn a new word and you see it everywhere. Hmm. And one of the ways you tell is is the thing I'm seeing just a reference to it or is it a new reference to it? And all the ones you're talking about are new references. The Flynn effect actually is that IQ thing that we learned. Oh wait, <laughs> did mm-hmm. I get it wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Some other effect. What's the Flynn effect? The Flynn effect is the thing where every generation is uh, smarter oh. than the one that came before. See, if I were old, if I were younger, I would have known that. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. I don't well, know. Anyway, whatever what the that, name that is for that thing is, I've, that I misremembered as the Flynn effect. Uh, it's that because because these are not like just references. Like, oh, I guess I'm seeing Eve Klein everywhere. These are like there is a new paint where there is a new product. Right. Totally, yeah. it is a thing. However, I will say if I could just have blue monochrome. And then what's so awesome is that when I saw it, by the way, blue monochrome is considered quote priceless. Like you can't. Nobody, you know, he wrote, he painted, they, he's got one painting called International Klein Blue or I keep, I can't oh, be the one. actual, the actual, uh, the actual painting. I was the gonna actual say, actually, it's, apparently painting. it's $100 per liter, but you mean <laughs> the actual. <laughs> yeah, I mean the painting. Right, IKB right. one painted in 1960 is another monochrome in that color. It sold uh, for $17,400,000. I'm not going to lie. I would I, like, I'm not the world's biggest art person, but when I saw this color 
just this block of color mm. hanging in the moment, I stopped cold. Like I stopped dead. And I would, and I was like transported to this time that I went to Corsica and I was like looking out the window of this thousand year old castle at the Mediterranean and it's inspired by the Mediterranean. Like it just does it for me. Well, and that, <sighs> that's the thing that I, a lot of people who, you know, dismiss art <laughs> are like, I could have painted a, a square blue thing and put it on a wall, right? Like the, that would be the the sort of lazy critique to which my response is often like, yeah, but you didn't, you know, part of art is doing it. Mm-hmm. But then the other part is, and would anyone have cared? Right. And your reaction is why this is such a famous piece of art. Yep. And color and just a color. Also, apparently he was a, um, he only lived 34 years, but he was a world-class trained, uh, world-class Japanese trained judo master by 26. Oh man. <laughs> And he essentially really did help sort of lay the groundwork for pop art. Like, he really changed the art world in a lot of ways. Eve Klein. And I want the paint. The it's end. about time. It's about time, Eve, that you got your due. <laughs> Good for you. Your $17 million paintings. People are like, mm-hmm. Welcome to the party. He only lived to 34. That's just frightening. I know. Your turn. All right. So uh, there was an excellent thread, just as a side note, uh, from Grumpwitch, 21st Century Gorgon on Twitter, uh, about working in libraries. And there's just it's just a great thread that I would recommend people go and read just to get an appreciation for what librarians do for all of us in society. But one of the first things in the thread is things I have learned about the general public while working at the library. Number one, a huge number of people under 20 can't read face clocks, having grown up with only digital ones. Hmm. And I retweeted this and somebody responded that they also have like younger family members, some of them who are even older than 20, who can't read face clocks, uh, who are like, yeah, I just, I had never learned. It's just, we always had digital around. What? Wow. So again, this is one of those things where you can e- easily say like, well, I know someone under 20 who can read a face clock just fine, but I think it's a trend. This is a librarian who's around the public a lot and is seeing this over and over. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it shows that like face clocks, you know, this may be a magna trend, right? Not a, not a fast moving one, but face clocks are going to be seen as you know, Roman numerals at some point. Like why would, and a lot of face clocks have Roman numerals on them. It makes them doubly. <laughs> Which is not helping. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's going to be, yeah. they're going to be iconoclastic. They're going to be a thing that, and I think they're getting very close to that right now. Or like you do it for decorative purposes, not for usefulness. That's really funny actually. Cause the reason that I get the CB2 catalog is because I bought this like huge, <laughs> like absurdly oversized modern face clock that has no numbers on it. No, like, you know, just the big hand and the little hand and they're almost the same size. And literally people come into my house and they're just like, I, I, I can't, uh, I don't know what no that says. They, they're just like, I have no idea what that says. But you buy, why did you buy it? You didn't buy it. To it's beautiful. Also time. to know what time it is vaguely. No, I, I mean, mean yeah, I did. Va- I was like, va- I need vaguely, a big clock right, in yeah. my you know, front room. Cause there's no clock in there. But that's so not the one you're looking at clock. when you're getting ready in the morning. You're like, is it nine yet or whatever? Right. Yeah. No, God, yeah. no, no. That, that morning routine is down to the minute. This is more like, the, it's roughly 10. It's time to go to bed. We have the same thing in our, in our living room. We have a big, it's gaudy. I, I I'll be honest. It's a big gold sun <laughs> kind oh, of yeah. thing. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a look. That's a look. Uh, and it came from a set at a production that Eileen was working on. She's like, Hey, you know, our clock broke here. We can replace it with this. And you can't really see the numbers they're on there, but it's kind of so dark sometimes, but it doesn't matter. You can tell it again, approximately where the hands are and you know, like, Oh, I guess it's getting close to 10. All right. Yeah. Yep. Um, also, oh my goodness, may I back up for a moment and just say mm-hmm. that producer Rich found 
a link at domino.com saying that Eve Klein Blue is in fact the color du jour and having a moment in 2019. What? And this is from March. Oh my gosh. I feel like a genius. <laughs> anyway. Uh, also, uh, credit to Rich, I just noticed this. Uh, the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon was what I was trying to think of. Oh, Bader-Meinhof. You know, that guy is on it. Thank you, Rich. Um, let's see. My second thing, interestingly, also comes from the youngins. What a shame about the face clocks, too, because they've all got their dumb Apple watches and they just are like not knowing how to tell time. Um, I actually have had this in the bullpen or at least my mental bullpen for a while. And now I'm kind of bummed that I didn't say it because somebody wrote the story about it. But I've noticed that the use of the term default Mm -hmm. has become the new basic like it's sort of an insult. It's an insulting term. I mean, like, I feel like oh, I just learned your basic from oh, the good place babe. myself. So I'm just catching up. <laughs> Thank you for giving me a leg up here. <laughs> hey, no problem. Yeah. Now you're on to the next one. Yeah. Um, which is default. So and default comes from for those of you who don't play Fortnite or are not blessed with a child who only wants to do that all the time. Side note, though, Minecraft weirdly back among the older set. Oh, Minecraft's having its second wind. Warcraft yeah. did the same thing, if I recall correctly. So did Pokemon Go. Uh huh. Which uh-huh. might even arguably be having a third wind. Well, with although Pokemon I'm Go, out. it was like it was pulling. It was a deep pull. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so Minecraft is back, but the so in Fortnite, when you play, you start out with a default skin, and then Fortnite does everything it can within its little video game design powers to get you to pay money. Right. For cooler skins. That's how they make their money. And that's just like a huge, you know, and there's one all the time and there's like special ones and rare ones and this and that and what. But apparently, uh, so then, and because the some of them are rare and because some of them can only be achieved either with a lot of money or by like finishing a season, um, it can suggest that you have more skills if you have cooler skins. And therefore, so this is all the long etymology mm-hmm, of how the mm-hmm, word mm-hmm. default has become an insult. It means you're like a noob. It's the new noob. So how do you use it in a sentence? Stop being so default. Uh-huh. Like you're totally playing like a default. Nice Stop outfit. Being such a default. Nice outfit. What are you, a default? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, and then, of course, that has led to like a whole bunch of thought pieces about how de- <laughs> about how calling people default is like you know, leading it's bullying and harassment. There was a long piece well, in. Yeah. And I mean, I mean you that's know, the evolution of, of language over and over and over again is you take a word and you start to use it to mean something mean. And then eventually it's yeah. used for harassment. Right. That's kind of what I thought. Like, yeah, it's true. Yeah. It's not, but previously um, you would have just been called a noob mm-hmm. in yeah. all the annoying ways, you know? And before that, a dork, you know, like the, the the words keep evolving because the kids always want their own words. Yeah. Except for cool. Is cool still like it's still going, right? Only if you say cool, cool, cool. I don't know yeah. why, uh-huh. but it's okay to say cool, cool, cool. Well, that's from community. So. Maybe oh, yeah, cool. you're right. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Yeah. But I think if you but just said hasn't... regular old cool, you would be a default. <laughs> <laughs> so cool is dying then maybe. It may be. I mean, because cool was old when I was young, yeah. right? The idea that cool still worked when I was in elementary school or even high school uh, is kind of crazy because that was a 60s word. Interestingly, I think that you can call 
You can describe something as cool if, That's for example, cool. you are in the Atlantic or the New Yorker. Like you can say, you know, a Lely May, the woman who designed those cool Jordans that I bought. Oh, I said it. There you go. Yeah. You could say she's ineffably, effortlessly cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like you can describe it as a mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as a an attribute. Yeah. But I think for me to say, as I so often do, cool, I'll see you there at five mm-hmm. is kind of old lady talk. A little so, bit default, perhaps. So cool's morphing, which I guess it always has. Yeah. They all, uh-huh. they all always have. But anyway, uh, yes. If somebody calls you uh, a default, it's the new noob, and it's harassing you. Uh, don't call someone default. Yep. They don't call each other losers. They just say, he's a default. I'm, uh, personally, I am um, reappropriating basic. Basic is excellent. Basic has definitely I'm, not gone anywhere. It's not yeah. old. No, I'm, I'm, I'm empowering it. I'm going yep. to turn it around. What's that called? <laughs> when you take mm-hmm. an insult against you and then you make it your badge of honor you're gonna repurpose it you're gonna you're gonna uh take back your time reclaim your time yeah yeah, yeah all Boom. Of that. get it because i'm basic um i don't know am i i don't think i really am oh no, man don't be so down on yourself you sound kind of tired <laughs> you're no default you're stressing you're stressing <laughs> no i was trying to i uh, never mind um we we will we will move off of 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 basic because it would be default to stay on it. <laughs> well played. All right, let's let you guys talk for a minute. Uh, I, I think even though I still have like forty ounces of pea milk in the fridge, <laughs> holy bananas! Forty ounces of pea milk just became my new rap album, next album title, yeah. like without a doubt. Anyway, I still have 40 ounces of pea milk, so I think we can do at least one more email on the topic. Thomas wrote in and said, I just listened to the show and found it funny that the milk alternative world was so new to you California guys. I've been a strict vegetarian since the 80s, and I'm dairy-free. I have tried all the possible options for a milk substitute for my morning coffee. For years, I was using soy milk, and then I decided I needed to cut down on my soy intake, which I've also heard, and started the long and sometimes gross journey into milk replacements. Here's what I found. Mm. Wildwood soy milk, 10, 10, gets 10 out of 10. Smooth, mm. very nice, not grainy. Ripple pea milk, eight, not bad, but odd, newish category. Mm. Flax milk, four. Hemp milk, two. Oat milk, eight. Coconut milk, five, very oily and coffee. Almond milk, six. <laughs> I like hemp milk's description, like drinking the bottom of someone else's granola Ew. cereal bowl. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> That's disgusting and yeah. hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and then he says, Wildwood also, FYI, makes a super firm tofu that is the bomb for grilling and you mm. don't have to drain it. Okay. That's actually pretty awesome. That's pretty great. Yep. And he said, if you ever need any help in the alternative, in the alternate food world, just ask. Plus, are mirrored sunglasses a thing? I would say never not a thing. Yeah. Those aren't Perma newly thing. a thing. Perma. They're sort of uh, a long, they're, they're like cool. They're just cool. Long-term thing. Yep. I think, they, I think they they kind of, they have a sine wave, right? Where they get a little more prevalent for a while and then they dip down. And they oh, that's true. Away. And actually, to be fair, they're, I have seen, I think, a bit of a super mirrored look. Mm. Like a really, really shiny mirrored sunglasses. That might be a thing. You may yeah. be correct. You may be correct. Been a fan since BOL and always on. Oh, always oh, on. Always on fan. Dang, that's old school. I was just using my always on uh, pint class the other day 
good times, good times. The battery doesn't work in it, but it used to light up. It used to good. light up, you guys. Yeah. Like we had good swag for that show. Yeah, it was good. Good stuff. Uh, and then Kevin writes in and says, I think the hockey versus basketball popularity is very much a regional thing. Mm-hmm. I recently had a very similar yet opposite experience to Tom here in Pittsburgh. Someone saw my son wearing a Warriors hoodie and expressed his surprise to me that there was someone else in the area that followed the NBA. What? what? Wow. I mean, Pittsburgh, that's a hockey town. I'll tell yeah. you what. Well, because the 76ers are in Philadelphia. There's no NBA team in Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm not wrong, right? Right. No, you're yeah. not. So and the Penguins, Pittsburgh is like, mm, And the Penguins are in Pittsburgh. I and mean, it's a are, hockey you know, town. That's, that Penguins are hot. They're good. A million years ago when I worked Sydney for the Crosby. Associated Press, I like came so close to getting a job in Pittsburgh covering the Penguins. And I think they were just like, nah, girl, you can't handle it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't handle the puck. You can't handle the pens. Uh, well, cool. All right. Thank you, Kevin. Okay. Appreciate right. that. You got a little support, a little support. One, yeah. At least one person I saw on Twitter, too, was like, hockey is totally a thing. Well, so would say a hockey fan. I yeah. mean, I'll, I'll admit that really, really quickly. <laughs> Too true. I was just struck by that. And, and I had the experience. I like Kevin's email because he's like, I had this experience with basketball. Those where I was good. in an area where I didn't think that many people cared. And all of a sudden, like, wow, a bunch of people care. So. Aww. Thank you, everyone who writes to us and tweets us and, of course, supports us as members of It's a Thing at patreon.com slash it's a thing. Uh, if you would care to join them, you can get access to cool stuff like our Discord, an ad-free RSS feed, and a little bit of bonus content here and there, too. Yeah, Usually it's, it's me ranting about Apple products. <laughs> you can also email us your things to feedback at it's a thing dot me. And we will talk to you again next time. Yes. Thanks, audience. You're the best. Please keep that up. I don't need no man. I'm speaking lies. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.